Hey, this is Gareth Webb, and you are listening to Breakout, a show aimed at cutting through the hiring noise and breaking down best practices. We'll also be tapping into the minds of other industry leaders so you can ensure your business makes the right critical hires the right way. Leif, how are you doing? Good. Gareth, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm very good. Thanks for heading down to Austin again. You've recently started your new position at Dialpad. How's that going? It's fantastic. Yeah, I just joined yep. our, our very first vice president, president of talent acquisition. Yep. Thousand employee company. It's gone through massive scale over the last what stage are you at? Series D. Okay. So we just we have about four hundred and seventy million in investment, two point two billion dollar valuation. Yep. And we operate Basically, we build AI technology surrounding unified communication as a service. Okay. So that's the platform that we operate in. Yeah. Big need. Yeah. Everybody's trying to figure out where they go and are you working in an office? Are you working from home? Where are you? And how do you connect with other people? And I guess like anybody in any kind of any questions around people starting a new, a big new thing, what was the thing that made you decide on that as the next big thing for you? So I had spent four and a half years at Procore. Yeah. which is a fantastic company. And I had a chance to join them at about 700. And I signed it about 700 by joining closer to 900 employees because they grew pretty quickly. Yeah. And between that phase and about 3,400 where they are today, I had a chance to experience an awful lot of growth, setting up international locations, going through an IPO. And so I felt like I really had a great opportunity to go build something. Yeah. And as I reached that kind of phase of this is a larger company today, the, the question for me is like, where do I really operate best? What do I love to do? What's really exciting for me? And I had worked at a company called Cloudera at 400 employees, another company called Sign at 200 employees, a company called Yext at 400. And so several sub 1,000 person companies, but this was the opportunity to actually lead the function as opposed to being the go-to-market leader or one of those functions. So go-to-market was historically your kind of core special, specialist area. That's where I spent my time. Yeah. Okay. And you come coming off the back of, did you not want to take a break after IPO? I took a week. You took a week. Part of it is, this is really funny. My wife looked at me and she goes, so how much time are you going to take off? And I took a week and literally I was starting to work like my first day. All right. I was getting emails. I'm like, Hey, we're, cause we were renewing some of our systems and they're like, Hey, I know you haven't started yet. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm just really passionate about building. Ironically enough, I work for a software company that serves construction. Yeah. So I'm a builder in a lot of different ways. And that was what just got my attention. I was really excited about the, just the opportunity to come in and build things from the ground up. So you, you, yeah, you didn't really need a break and they needed you in. So it was like, let's get on with it. Pretty much. Very good. You're still betting in onboarding at Dialpad. So like we'll go back to the Procore experience, which I think like it's on a lot of people's career bucket list to join something that's working, having some growing pains, but then getting the, um, the whether it's a box checked or just like a win on the resume, like not a smooth journey either. Cause I remember like talking to you during the pandemic and you're like, yeah, there's all kinds of like things to navigate. And then the IPO happened. When exactly was it? Was it May, literally a year ago this week? Right. Yeah. Like your time there was, is like your, you know, let's, probably say that's your big resume win, taking them through IPO and being impl- like influential in scaling the headcount from, sorry, what was it when you joined? Closer to the 800 range. Yeah. And now? 30, I think they're close to 35. Right. 3,500. Yeah. Crazy. What do you, what are the things, there's obviously never one thing, like what, what, did, what made that happen from a talent acquisition perspective beyond product and beyond backing, what, what made that happen in your eyes? So it was really fortunate. I worked by, for a guy named Steve Mayer as the VP of TA. Mm-hmm. He was actually the head of TA for Lucasfilm. Oh, right. This is somebody who actually sat in a room with George Lucas and helped him interview. Okay. He ran a 200-person org at Yahoo, and he was living in Los Angeles and Procore is in Santa Barbara, and this is in 2017 where everybody's going into offices pre-pandemic, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that... He had a vision for us. We always heard the, hey, you're in Santa Barbara. I don't want to live in Santa Barbara. How do you flip the script and make your location a competitive advantage? Okay. So Santa Barbara was one hub. Austin became a second hub. 
eventually scaled to London, Sydney, Germany, right? All of the world. But as we started thinking about that, the thing that became really important is how do you make candidate experience front and center, right? And if you think about, especially the time frame that we're still in, kind of 2018, super competitive for talent, right? It became more competitive through the pandemic because of the great resignation, but just getting talent on board was really hard. So we thought about candidate experience in a way that really thought backwards in the same way that you think about hiring somebody. That's the way that you're going to differentiate and make this location in Santa Barbara win. So the executive level, right, we brought in talent that was interviewing at tier one Bay Area companies. They flew down for the day. They spent the day with us and we had feedback like, I don't know whether this is a vacation or an interview. I mean, it was awesome. They felt at home. They felt connected. And the goal we we're trying to get to is how do we make this our decision, right? At the end of the day, when it comes to recruiting, if the experience is so amazing and you determine the fit, that candidate is likely to come to work for you. And so thinking backwards, we always thought about the entire design of the interview process of delighting the candidate. Yeah. Making sure that the experience is amazing so that when we got to the end, everything was transparent. Everything was out in the open. We talked about comp. We talked about all these things so that by the time we were at that onsite sitting in a conference room, we're like, ready to go. Yeah. Like we've talked about comp. What do you think? Can you start in two weeks? Is this this largely at the exact level? Exact level, but then we brought it down to the entry level, right? Customer support, sales development. And some of it is we really invested heavily in this candidate experience. In doing that, the way that we thought about it is in really three pillars. First pillar is, as I said, think about the end in mind. When you think about candidate experience, from the very first engagement, right, do you see this person joining the organization? And what are you doing from a candidate experience design experience backwards to get to that? So that was the very first piece. The second piece from a candidate experience pillar is, and when I think about that, the biggest pieces are, can you create a true, transparent, equitable offer? Can you be open and honest about other candidates? Can you talk about this in a way that's really transparent so everybody understands, like, this is where you are in the tail end? Right. The second pillar is obviously as you get to the interview phase. So we did things like we created a blueprint, right? Construction technology, you build a blueprint. When somebody interviews, they have this web-based form that's their blueprint and they can connect with our ERGs or they can connect with really anyone they want. So we open up the opportunity for candidates to go explore other stakeholders in the organization because we really, what we found and we were really fortunate, we had a really strong culture that it wasn't about trying to block the candidate into, hey, I like this is what you're saying. We really want to expose as much as possible. We found that as candidates dug deeper into who we were, they really became more engaged with us. And so our job was really to expose really everything. And one of the core values is openness. Yeah. So would you would you you would like with each position you're hiring, talk about where they needed to be, what the comp was, how the total package, all that was up front. As much as possible. So obviously the world has compensation ranges. Yeah. And so if I'm interviewing you and I think that, listen, I think you're an IC4. I think you're going to come in as an IC4 and this is the range for it. And okay. people in all different areas, as much as we can expose the opportunity of this is realistically. And if you're more, if you have more experience than somebody else in that same category, we should be paying you appropriately for that. And again, it's never going to be perfect, but to the best of the ability Think about packages that are fair and equitable and unbiased. The biggest thing that we have is, oh, candidate comes in, they're connected to a really good buddy of somebody and they get a better deal because they know somebody than the person who doesn't know somebody. As much as possible, try and root that out and make sure that we don't let that happen and that we're really thoughtful about that. Okay. And so you're talking about candidate experience being something that you guys you think you got ahead of it because you kind of had to because of location and you used it as like as a competitive advantage rather than a hindrance but like why not just at the very beginning why not just be in the bay area what was leading to it being down there and being in austin because austin was like a at that point a growing tech hub but it wasn't like what it is now yeah 
Some of it was Tui, the CEO and founder, really wanted, initially when the company was built, if you go back to 2002, it was somewhat of a lifestyle company. The company really didn't grow. And then when it started to take off, they were adamant about really creating an experience for their customers, an experience. And they, they didn't necessarily want to be another tech company in the Bay Area. So in doing that, right, as time went on, they didn't make as much investment and especially like through the pandemic, they invested in a lot of different areas. And during the pandemic, they invested anywhere. It became almost fully remote and some roles are still now locally identified. But during that time, they started to realize the very first employee value proposition as a company was, look, if you went to UCSB, you live in Santa Barbara, bring your dogs to work and you surf at lunch. What became really evident is that the employee value proposition over time had to change and it aligned with our core values, it aligned with what you could do, and more importantly, the impact you can make and the promise between the employee and the company yeah. that really made a tight cohesion. And so that, that became the shift and that can really be anywhere. And so you, it was more of a lifestyle business earlier. You're saying the people that work there are a bit more lifestyle oriented until it started getting quite serious and growing towards goal, which was about 2014. The company was about 75 employees, 75. Yeah. And then the company started to really accelerate from 75 to 800 by the end of 2017. Okay. So it went from this beach community, right? To, oh, we're going to build an office in Austin. Oh, we're going to set up Toronto. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Oh, we're going to Sydney. To London, it just took off. Yeah. Again, the shift went from I am a company that, you know, is about the beach and dogs and coming to work. Sounds good, but yeah, but this is really what we're doing. We're creating a compelling vision for your professional career and the career ladders and how we designed all the different phases of growth. If you were in an entry level seller, what was the next phase? How did you go become emerging markets, mid market majors? Okay. So going back, you talk about the pillars of candidate experience that you think are what Procore cracked and did very well, maybe ahead of time from some other brands. You talk about like designing the the candidate experience with, so you like with the hire in mind at the very beginning, not like let's figure out if they're any good, then get to the next step, which I think most companies do. They're like, let's have an initial conversation. Let's see it. Let's talk about a second conversation. And that's, in my opinion, a very wasteful use of everybody's time, but it's not intentional enough. So you are like hyper-intentional around making sure that anyone who's coming into process could, like, we're trying to find out reasons why not to hire them rather than can we put them through to the next step. So you're saying your experience was designed with the hire in mind. It's okay, let's figure out the fit. So that's the first bit. That is, and very specifically around three areas, right? The technical competency, are yep. you a technical fit for the role? Yep. The second competency, are you a values fit, right? If you're not a values fit, right? Like the engagement ends pretty quickly. Yeah. Third fit is leadership trajectory. Can you, if you're at a manager level, are you a future VP? What kind of trajectory do you have? Yeah. So, right, the technical fit and the leadership fit is where we spent our time the culture the values was really like a one or a zero either you're really a strong fit and we think that you would really integrate really well it's just really hard to be trained for that and teach that and so we really focused on that and then you said the second pillar was more around like transparency and what was the third pillar so the third pillar is how we engage with talent so think about this as a sales funnel or a recruiting funnel. Yeah. The tail end is the close. That's the first pillar of how do you make sure that you're thinking in mind and everything you do. The second pillar being, look, when I'm thinking about the experience, showing up, how do we delight you? How do we make sure that, again, you leave that interview saying, I want to work here. I don't think I want to do this right now, but I would recommend this to other companies or I, this is a company I could work for, or this is a company somebody else would want to work. Yeah. For. Like not for me, great place. I'll, I'll yeah, I'm not at a place. This is the right job. This is what I want to do, but this is, these are amazing people and I want to share it with my network. And then the, and then you're saying like the top of funnel piece, like how you engage. So part of it is we rolled out technology. We used a technology called gem which is technology that, that built kind of top of the funnel. And the way that we approach talent, we started to build talent communities. We started to build, we hired a brand person that became not just our TA brand person, 
we built a brand function inside the organization. So a lot of organizations will make the mistake and go, let's build this external brand. The challenge is if you don't have that on the inside, right? Yeah. Then you don't have somebody thinking about the engagement and the employee experience that you have. It becomes really obvious when people interview. Yeah, like it's superficial. Just someone's plastered out some employer branding and then it doesn't feel the same when you come in. And then you show up, you're like, this isn't what I thought. And so you have to live it and you have to and sure, every thousand to that three thousand person company has warts and challenges and so forth. And you have to be really honest about that as much as possible. At Procore, we would actually allow we train our recruiters to give feedback, right, to the best of our ability if it didn't work out. And if somebody made it to an onsite, it wasn't an email saying, "Hey, you didn't make it. Sorry." But hey, let's set up five minutes. Let me give you what we learned, what we think. And again, sometimes you can't always give all the feedback, but you give the best feedback possible that allows that candidate to at least understand like how they did. So if they did it on site, they got a call. They got a call, yeah. How people held accountable to that, because that's difficult. Like people, everyone wants the feedback, but sometimes it's not taken too well and some, then people don't love to give it. And it's we have a similar rule here. It's, yeah, no bad news over email. Like bad news should be done on the phone because it gives the chance to like break the tension around the bad news being like the truth bomb, so to speak. But then it can be discussed and negative feelings can be dissipated. And it can be, to your point, like the door being left open potentially, or at least people with so much email and so much ghosting or notifications, like the call is probably the most human way of doing it. So how did you, how did you as a business hold everybody accountable to that? So part of it is it was just part of the expectations, right? In all of our decline outreach, yeah. we would send a decline, but our prescripted if somebody sent a note and it was at that phase, it would say, hey, listen, let's grab five minutes to chat. Okay. And the reason why it was so important and the reason is I actually had experience eight years ago and I interviewed with a huge tech company that I won't name. <laughs> and I had a great recruiter and I didn't get the job. I got the decline call and I'd never gotten a decline call. I didn't interview that much. So it isn't me, but I just hadn't been actively interviewing and I get a call. Hey, listen, it's just, it's not going to be a fit. The team met and they're looking for a little bit more of this than that. And, and I felt way better about it than, well, let's stay in touch, right? Yeah. It was very honest and authentic. And actually that person came and worked at my team for a while because I was so impressed with the way this recruiter handled it. And so I, again, I think in the world that we're living in, it, it's hard to do that, but it's such a differentiator when you can create that experience that says, Hey, like. You put a lot of time into this. If you think about the time that both parties spend going all the way through an onsite, it's a huge investment. And what the outcome that I want as an employer is to the best of my ability, you walk away feeling good about the time invested. It doesn't matter if you work for us or not. Do you feel good about us as a company when we say it's not a fit? And that's hard to do, but that's the aspiration. It's never perfect. We try and hold recruiters accountable, but that's the North Star. Yeah, I think if you assume that nobody likes to be rejected in the moment at all, like just that's a hundred percent, like that's the layer of, we know that to be true. Yeah. But humans tend to go away and be introspective, even if they're angry about something and go away and probably the likelihood is in 24, 48 hours or a week, they probably feel much better about it. And they may have got over the emotional part of why they got rejected because like i've been on the receiving end as well not agreed with it and then over time thought maybe if they've arrived there then i didn't portray myself as well or i didn't get that point across and i think as long as you can't do that with every person that's gone through a screen or an application but to your point i think yeah if they've done an on-site they've kind of earned the right to hear from you yeah and then they may not love hearing it but they will most likely go on and feel better about it. They might not feel great, but they'll feel better about it. And then they'll realize, yeah, maybe it's me that needs to do some work. Did you have coaching, like going into the details a little bit here, but because I think it's important, did you coach on how to deliver those? What was there training on that? Did, and it's also hard, some feedback, there's some elements of it that you just can't give feedback on, but some elements that are pretty clear and transparent. So the way that we did it, right, is number one, like the recruiter would send a note, but the recruiter could really build the note. Again, we assume that a recruiter is going to build a relationship with a candidate and try and understand it. And just based on the signals and cues, 
figure out like the best way to deliver this. And so in some cases it's, hey Gareth, um, we think we've landed on a conclusion and real competitive, like clues that you could put it in the email that would start to let down the conversation. So the person enters the conversation going, I'm probably not getting this, but I want to talk to him. Yeah. Or, hey, listen, it, it just, it's about figuring out the right way to read how the candidate showed and figure out the way to do it in a way that, that gets it across and to the best of the ability, creates a good experience when it's never a good experience, but it can be. Right. If you think about how to do it, especially if it's the not now, probably later, you're lacking these skills. We look for this skill in this level. You're here. Let's talk in a year. Those are great messages to deliver. The harder messages are, you just don't match our values. And that becomes the debate. What do you mean? I'm not open. What do you like? That's a harder conversation to have. We, again, it's easy to say, like, we just didn't see the match from the way that we operate as a company, but that opens up the, what do you mean? Like, I can't, yeah, like, tell me I'm why. not open. Yeah. And so you have to be careful about that. And it, yeah, it can't get too personal. Yeah, some, someone has different beliefs or. Or they just showed up with the way. You may be a super open person, open person, but you showed up for the interview and man, you just came across this way. Yeah, like too guarded or. You're probably not this from everything you and I have had together. I didn't get this, but when you showed up, this is what they thought, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be back to the whole point of feedback is like, everyone says they want it. They don't always like getting it, but like, actually, I think upon reflection, yeah, that that's how I am with feedback. I get it. And I'm like, okay, just throw it at me. But then over time it will absorb and I'll process it. I'll be like, yeah, that some of that's fair. So for the last, starting in November of 2000, the CHRO that joined Procore, her name is Pat Waters. She was the CHRO of, of ServiceNow, LinkedIn. And the greatest thing I learned from her is feedback is a gift. Yeah. Now, now some people get a gift and they don't want that gift, yeah. but it is a gift. And if you look at it as a gift and are thankful for it, somewhere along the line, you might learn that, wow, this is really awesome. I'm glad that they shared this with me, even though it hurt. Like when I got that reject conversation, my first instinct was, well, that, I spent all this time, I got on a plane, I went over. And the reality is, when I got that feedback, I actually, I was, I wanted it to be my decision. I wanted them to say, we want to hire you and me decide not because I actually didn't want the job, but I wanted the power to decide. And so part of like, when you create an amazing candidate experience is the employer has the ability to say, Hey, listen, you showed really well. You were a great fit. Everything seemed like, but we just, it's not the right timing. This is what we're looking for. There's a lot of reason, but yeah, that's, and it's hard, but I think in the world of professional recruiting, that's what differentiates why we don't have bots, why we don't just run recruiting process with non-human people trying to digitize it. I don't, again, people talk a lot about artificial intelligence and is it going to replace recruiting? And I think the world we'll live in eventually will be the differentiator for how recruiting takes place is the level of humanness that you bring to the engagement. It won't be the ability to screen. It won't be the ability to do this stuff. It's the human interaction and sure machines will get better and better. But that's the piece that I think is really what makes us different than machines. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if there's a way of deploying AI technology software to do some of the heavy lifting and the minimizing data loss that happens like in, in a talent funnel or within an organization, but the delivery of just simple stuff like the delivery of an offer, like the opposite of giving negative news, I find that so many companies deliver offers terribly. Because they just, they're like, oh, we've got to the end now and here you go. And actually that can, in, it, in the same way of keeping your employer brand in high regard through delivering bad news, delivering good news and in the right way, it can, it some, doesn't mean they're going to take that because there's other things out there. And we see a lot of companies get that really wrong. And so, yeah, I think that's where the human should come in, where there's like the relationship building, there's the, the really critical moments during a process. And it's the, and the rejection, the bad news, the great, the good news should be done very well. And it, the best clients that we have or the best companies we work with, like they're pretty slick on all fronts and is doing the basics well, minimizing mistakes, being thoughtful about each step. What are the things that you've on that, on the subject of like making sure that the bad news is delivered like that with Procore, you've gone into dial pad, I guess like you're there to build it out, right. And address things. What are the things that you're adamant you'll take in there and what are the things that you're thinking well, I've got to create from scratch? So first of all, my offer experience was amazing with my 
now boss. And the interview experience was amazing. So when I had a chance to come, I actually came to a revenue offsite and I had a chance to meet key stakeholders that all happened to be in Austin. And it was just this interactive experience where I really got to experience the company. And so that would pull me along. It's in the DNA of companies. So the way the dial pad operates, right? If you look at our kind of culture, we care a lot about experience, right? We build technology that that helps you work beautifully, work from anywhere, work how you want. Part of that is you have to have a really strong internal people brand. Yeah. So the DNA and like what I call the the framework of how the company is set up is correct. Like anything else, I go back to when we were a thousand employees and we had manual processes and we had emails doing stuff. As you grow and scale, it becomes more systemization. Do you build technology that allows the heavy lifting to take place while you have professional recruiters, candidate experience coordinators that are really geared in on creating an experience? So that's, you know, in my first 30 days, that's kind of my takeaway is it reminds me, and in fact, why I took the job, it reminds me a lot of where Procore was several years ago. So part of it is my key takeaway is, it, again, I'm in that phase of what I call blocking and tackling or the basics of, okay, do we have consistent reporting? Are we selling the company correctly? Are we this? Are our recruiters trained, right? Do we have the right mechanism in place? And one of the things that attracted me is that we have a large international expansion. We have a team in Buenos Aires. We have a team in India. And so in those locations, it creates more of a challenge to create a consistent experience around the company in different geographic locations. So it really comes down to, it forces back to the core values, right? If you have the core values that make the company operate a certain way, doesn't matter the language, doesn't matter the geography, right? The values, the culture may be different in Bangalore than it is in Buenos Aires than it is in San Ramon, but it's the same. So I'm in the phase now where I really see the opportunity to build out, um, have a team in place that's fantastic. How big is the team now? So the team is 20 people. How big was Procore when you left? 70, 75, maybe more. Maybe it was 80. Yeah. But so part of it is 20 person team. When I joined Procore at the size, it was like 17, 18. So same thing. And then it's, how do you build the momentum, right? As long as I've done this, you always win with talent when the experience is amazing for them. Yeah. And if it isn't, and if you don't hire them or they don't accept you, then, you know, you have their network for all intents and purposes. If they have a great experience, if they have a poor experience, you don't have their network. <laughs> yeah, if you don't cover the basic bases well and you don't treat people well, the whole experience has essentially been a waste. Whereas if you don't get the hire or the win or you don't get the drop, if you don't get the hire after the process and it's done badly, then that whole... yeah, it, It's a network effect bad. of yeah. this was really bad, the recruiter didn't know what they were doing. Like all the feedback that you see as you look at social media and so forth, it amplifies because people will go, oh, I got a call from Dialpad. Let's see. Ah. And we have a 90, I think we're 94% CEO approval rating and our CEO created the technology behind Google Voice. And there's a compelling story of why, right, we're in this race and competing and we're very different than other platforms. However, at the end of the day, that's valuable, but what's the personal experience of working here? What's it really like to work there? And how do you open up the window to that through your interview process as transparently as possible? And do you, is that, do you have, are you join there because you, you like the product, the culture, the vision? Is the, are you, there's other unified communications platforms out there and some of them are talking about AI. So there's multiple things that you're competing against within the product grouping. What do you sell? What is the sell? What, how are you packaging the sell to stand out from other people in that space, let alone all the other tech companies? Yeah. Nobody can do AI quite the way we do. One of the things that's amazing is that a lot of companies in this space, they have a platform for their communications they have a platform for their meetings. And there's what we do is we integrate it into a single platform that allows them to not just communicate, but we have this technology called voice intelligence, which captures everything that's going on. I can drill in and I can go and search and say, 
gosh, I had a meeting with Jake two weeks ago and we talked about this and I can go and search for it and find it right away. There's sentiment analysis. You could be on a call talking and if it's going poorly, it goes red and somebody can come in. So there's a large degree of sophistication in the platform that's usually specified for contact centers, but it really, what's different about us is it relates to the rest of the legal department. We have a sales product, all these different areas of the working world are opportunities for us. And we're one of the best kept secrets. I had never heard of Dialpad until I reached out. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then as I learned more and more and then. Well, everyone's just like, everyone's heard of Zoom, haven't they? And like that, that, that was kind of like the. the... And everyone had heard of Autodesk before Procore. Interesting. Going back, to, I just want to talk about candidate experience a little more in 2022 versus Procore using it using their location, which looks and sounds beautiful as a competitive advantage versus no one, say no one has a HQ anymore and you're using Dialpad from home or from a WeWork or whatever. So then what's your advice to talent leaders now? What should you focus on? So I think like anything else, right? We're in this funny world where some organizations are going to try and be in an office five days a week. And some organizations may be successful in having their employees five days a week working. And there's, there's some functions that have to be, right? And then you have some functions where they won't be in an office five days a week because so it may be hybrid. And some organizations are like, I don't care. Work where you want. I don't want to pay for real estate anymore. And you see an awful lot of churn and engagement, right? Both at Procore as well as Dialpad, we use CultureAmp. CultureAmp allows us to measure engagement, measure sentiment, survey. And we're able to tie like, okay, the person that's never been around somebody else for a year other than their computer and employees, they're less engaged. Not in general, but you start to see those trends in the you, industry. You see it. And so how do you fix that? How do you figure that out? So it can't be about, we were talking about this earlier, it's just, it can't be about like, well, we're all going to meet together and do this. That's one part of it. But when you're talking about interviewing people and they're in different parts of the world and they may be on vacation in Hawaii and they can't. They're not going to fly in for an interview while they're on vacation, but you need to fill the job quickly. How do you create that experience? And you, it has to start with the design of what kind of platform are you using? We bought a company called Uber Conference a couple of years ago. And so when you're on hold on Dialpad, there's this like funny song that sings about I'm on hold and I don't even been on Uber Conference, but it's hilarious. And the number of people where I've gotten on a meeting with, they're like, that was like, we can go back on hold. Yeah, yeah. And so it's little things it. like that. It's the UI, the fact that you don't have to download anything. It's all the things that make this experience like, oh, this is really cool. That's like the opening door, right? That's like when somebody knocks on the door and says, hey, I'm interested in this job. That's their first experience. And so if that experience isn't good and that's what you do. So that's, that's one piece of it is figure out how with your first impressions, whether it's LinkedIn outreach, whether it's Gem, whether it is, you're really showcasing the experience of working there. Secondarily, when they actually engage with you, showcase what you're really good at. If this is an area where like Dialpad soars, right, we're going to make sure that we have a really structured multiple panel interview. It's clear. We have next steps. And because we're primarily virtual and because our technology is designed that way, we actually don't need to have five coordinators sitting in our headquarters trying to do this. They can sit anywhere they want. They could do it digitally. We can lean on other resources and most of it happens virtually. When somebody gets to that point, they're like, hey, I'm really interested, but I'd like to look somebody eye to eye. You can adjust for that. So we are starting to do things where I've been through a panel and I'm really interested in learning more. Who else do I want to talk to in the organization? And how do we make those connections so that people are more likely to explore us? So I think if anything, it's going back to right the three pillars at the very end. It's when it comes to, as you're a talent leader, when it comes to making it your decision on whether that person you want to hire that person or they're going to join because they're so excited about working for you. When you think about that, you have to design your process in a way that starts at the very top end of how you engage. And are you open and transparent through that process? And does your culture allow for it? If it doesn't allow for it, then you have to adjust your process to what your cultural norms are. But at the end of the day, right, it is really hard in today's world when you're trying to get like a view into what's this company that you're getting it through dial pad meetings or like these interactive, like you're not meeting in person, you're doing a lot of it remotely. 
it is really hard to get a really good feel for the company if you're not open and people can't go to where they want to go. Having said that, there's especially for senior level roles, there really is no replacement to look, you really somebody, there's a really good fit, right? Have them come down to Austin and spend a happy hour with your leaders and yeah. figure out if there's chemistry. And again, it's a data point, right? You shouldn't make a decision on if they're qualified, but you should get a sense of is there chem generally chemistry with the leadership team and could this person be successful, especially for senior level roles? Yeah, I think when you're having, when the, there's arguably like, more tough conversations to be had amongst leadership. So if you can't have those tough conversations in real life, or you don't want to do it on a Zoom because you don't want to have the tough conversation. Or, or a dial pad. Or a dial pad. Yeah. <laughs> or any other unified communications platform. Or yes, there are other people like you put on the brave face, end the meeting, and then they go and vent. And then you want to know that, that you can have those conversations and get to the answer and be okay about it. I think doing it face-to-face -face is fairly unbeatable. What I was going to ask you is having done the physical, the hybrid, the remote, and maybe with hubs, which I think is what you're doing with Dialpa, how, and this is probably on you, how do you make sure that people are consistent and don't give into like interview fatigue through digital means? Like how do you make sure that people are fair and consistent with their interview performance? So a couple things. Number one, we did this at Procore, and we'll get there with Dialpad. You have to have panel interviewers. They have to be trained, first of all. So we went through and we made sure that if you put somebody on an interview, that they were trained. There are certain interviews that we did at Procore, values interviews, anybody could be trained to do. You didn't have to, like any employee could be trained on it and go sit in it. To avoid the interview fatigue, you have to have a consistent set of questions. You have to have a consistent process. And then it's fair to have other people do the interviews, right? If you get to three panel, three candidates, you go through a panel. Nobody says that all four people have to meet all three of those people. You can switch it out. And when you do in a perfect world where you're doing a debrief, especially with somebody who's new to interviewing, they're going to learn a lot by sitting in that debrief and hearing what people are saying about the candidate and getting an, an overall experience. So again, really important to debrief, right? Because everybody learns about that candidate, yeah. but everybody learns about interviewing in the debrief. And then secondarily, it's thinking about those panels. Now, the third thing I also am pretty adamant about, and again, less so on really high volume repetition roles, but if you have a new search, when we kick off a new search, the first thing we do is we go in and we pull a LinkedIn Insight, and we'd look at, okay, you wanna hire somebody in the Bay Area with these five skills, we'll do a market map and literally, okay, these are the five skills that you have. If you need all five of these skills, there's five people available that can do this, right? So let's have a conversation about prioritization so that we align. And again, if you think about the buckets of your values fit for the company, you have a lot of trajectory or you're a technical fit, very few people, right? Even in technical roles, lose their job. And there's a stat 10 years ago in Silicon Valley, something like 12% of people were fired because of their technical skills. And there was some crazy number you're like, but this is a tech company. It's the human interaction, right? So you can train if you hire the right people for a lot of the things that you need technically, but it's really hard to train people to be more open or more this or more that, right? That oftentimes they're just that's the way that they operate. And they're a really good fit because of that or they're not. Yeah, completely agree. And most people I think who get fired or leave an organization is because of like, just disengage, make mistakes, or just don't improve. Gro growth mindset, right? There's a, a, she wrote a book, her name is Carolyn Dwick. She wrote a book called Growth Mindset. And the basic approach is, are you hiring people that have an approach that like, here's a problem and I see the opportunity, right? And I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to fail quickly and learn from it and pivot rather than I have to be successful. Nobody can get my shelf. And so when you hire people with a growth mindset, you really enable something. You set up your company culture in a way that some people even call it celebrate failure. Like you went and you tried something and you failed and that's okay. You learn from it. When you have a culture that does that really well and it's safe to fail, you're going to have people innovating and taking a lot more risk. And if you, if at your CEO level and across the organization, that's the expectation, really you, you, the only way you don't succeed is if you don't try. Yeah. Just status quo, hide. 
Yeah. And I don't know a lot of people who build companies that want people that do that. They want people who are willing to innovate. And especially as how quickly as the tech industry is innovating and changing, you need people in your organization that in every part of your business are quickly innovating. They're thinking about this. They're like, we can do it better, faster, cheaper. We should be doing this. What have we thought about this? And some of the best companies will throw something at the wall and they'll try it for six months. They're like, nope, didn't work, but we learned this. Let's move forward. And it's really easy to get stuck in. Well, I need this to be right. Pat Waters used to call it perfectly imperfect. She is the CHRO would say, I don't, like, I'm not going to get this totally right. I'm going to try. Yeah. And I'm okay. Like, she's the CHRO of the company and she's okay not to do it perfectly. Then I have to be okay not to do it perfectly. But yeah, one like honest mistakes where good intention was there at the beginning and you're trying to do something that could have eventually had a payoff, whether it's small or big, but like it doesn't always work out that way. So I think, yeah, that's part of culture. It's part of leadership. It's part of allowing people to, there's a whole conversation at the moment, right? Especially after the last two years about people feeling safe at work, psychologically taken care of and well-being, not just like a perk, but an actual like cultural embedded notion that you're going to be looked after at work even if you make a mistake like you're not going to get fired for it the industries that that we work in i guess are exactly that you need people who feel restless to not be making those bets essentially like they would rather just go and work for a blue chip where they can be very comfortable doing project work and getting on with stuff and there's a place for that i've had i won't say where had jobs in my career where i've (laughs) Literally, I was like, oh, gosh, you guys have never done this, and I'm going to teach you how to do this. And it was something like basic. This is how you set up a LinkedIn profile. Right. You know, and you're like, this is pretty basic stuff, but nobody has ever taught them that. And there's places where you could just, I could have done that forever and ever and been a hero. But I didn't get better. I wasn't stretched. I didn't become the best version of myself mm-hmm. by doing that. On that note, I guess I would ask you now, on a personal note, what are you, what are your kind of like personal challenges around the growth mindset or around becoming the best talent leader you can be? Like you've got this opportunity now where you're coming into an organization, you've gone through the pro core ex- experience, like in your mind now, what are the goals and what are the things that you are expecting from yourself? So I, I, and hopefully my team in 30 days realizes and from talking to other people and talking to people in my career, like I'm a pretty real, honest person, right? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty open about all of my personal warts and all my personal journey. And so uh, people in my team and people I work with know me and I'm pretty straight shooter. Big thing for me is I don't always know the answer. I will do everything I can to try and help get the answer. But I know what it's like to be responsible. I know what it's like to be a recruiter. I know what it's like to do operations. I know what it's to do all these different things. So I've walked in the shoes. I know it's a real pain to do these things. My challenge is to continually be real and create that psychological safety where people can really be not just their best selves, but their real selves at work. Can they show up? Can they have a horrible day? I've had people on my team that, you know, tears and tears on Zooms of people I've never met before. Right right? Other parts of the world where it's, so it, it happens. This is especially like I had somebody in my team in a previous life that we were in a meeting and they had to close their laptop because somebody came to the door. The police came to the door because too many people were in their house during COVID. And you're we like, I may have to go, like they may arrest me because I had people in my house, movers came and like, how do you, how do you explain that? Like, we're just living in a totally different world. And it's just, for me, it's, it's just being there and just being able to sit with like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine going through what they're going through right now. And how do I show up as a leader and just listen and be the best leader I can be? And more importantly, care deeply for what they're going for, through. Yeah. More so than, because at the end of the day, your family, right? Your close friends, your loved ones. In the world of recruiting, it's an up and down world talent acquisition has its ups and downs you hire people you don't you win you lose yeah but your immediate family your immediate loved ones your professional life should never take the place of that and as a leader how do i make space for people to deal with their personal lives and deal with all the stuff they're going through and find ways to move work around like stuff comes up and people can get covid and have to be out for two weeks and not this as no one's fault 
yeah, and they didn't go find COVID. So how do you create that space for them to be deal with what they're dealing with? And that to me is, is leadership, right? That's the pouring back into people so that either on their teams or with their candidates or with their stakeholders or with their clients, they're treating them incredibly well, regardless of the circumstance. And my experience is, is if I can do that every day, you know, I'm creating value and I'm useful. If I'm barking orders that we need to fill more jobs, a bot could do that. It's not particularly helpful, is it? Yeah. No. no, very interesting. I think it's clear to me you've probably been through some very different cultural experiences with the firms you've been at during the times that you've been at them. And I'm sure even Procore, I'm guessing like technology into construction, I'm sure there's like an old school mentality to part of that. And then you've probably seen how that must have changed through the last few years. Yeah, no doubt you will take all the best and leave all the worst through your dial pad experience as that builds out. I've got two final questions for you. If you could solve one hiring problem forever, like one, the, one part of the talent acquisition problem, what would that be? Yeah, the offer process. The offer process. Like you bought a car before, right? Not to beat up on car dealerships, but buying a car is different than 25 years ago. It's just a hard thing. It's so personal. You're like comp and what's it worth and that whole thing. It's hard. And, you know, again, we, we train for that. We prepare people to give great offers, do it fair and equitable as much as we can do. It's still just really difficult to do well. I don't have an easy answer as to this is the solution. Well, what do you think? What do you think of the like don't do's for a start? What are the things that you see happening time again? Yeah, I think that probably the biggest don't do is don't be dishonest. Don't, you don't have to share everything, but don't try and obviously hide stuff when people can figure it out on their own. If some, if you have a range, People know it. P people, unfortunately, or fortunately, will talk about compensation. Yeah. That is it. And so your real best bet is just to be as honest as humanly possible and create that trust that, look, I did the best I could. Yeah. This is what we think is really fair. And I know you're looking for X and we think the market is Y. And so we're coming in at Z and we think that seems pretty fair. And what do you think? Right. Gone are the days of hard negotiation and, it's just, it's again, the challenge is, is that people have been burned, right? People based on their socioeconomic status, based on their gender, based on their ethnicity, been underpaid. There's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens in the offer process. Mm -hmm. It's about creating that transparency to the best of your ability. You can't always be transparent about everything, but everything you can be transparent and to create a good experience is really important. We only see the industry going one way. It's not going backwards in terms of transparency. It's like people want hyper-transparency. They want to know up front what the compensation range is. They want to know, or, or one of the things we've seen lately, which I'll, we can talk about another time because I don't know how much time we've got, but the idea of an offer being slightly blended or more like a menu where, look, I'm more risk averse, so I don't want the stock. I'd rather go bigger on the base and the bonus because like, I need to cover certain costs for whatever reason. It's a very personal thing. Some people are like, yeah, I'm all in on this IPO in five years. Give me nothing and let me yeah. give me stock. Basically, let me pay the rent and then give me as much as you can on the stock. And I think everyone has different motivations and drive. Some people want to be in the office three, four days a week. Some people want to work from wherever. And I think money has the same value, like in the sense that it has different value to everybody else. Like it shouldn't be a binary offer. It should be, hey, look, like we want you. What do you want? Here's the options. And I, we have some companies that we work with that take that approach. I think it's not super innovative, but it's getting And it. we do that too. We have ranges and we think about, look, if total compensation is X, do you get to X through? And when we train our recruiters, we have a built-in sheet that has, as a privately held company, has external competitors and what their market cap is and multiples revenues. They're all trained to talk through that and articulate like, one of the best CFOs I've ever worked with, he said, okay, there's two slides. One slide was Oracle. This is what your stock could be worth. The other slide was pets.com, which like no one have business. Yeah. You're like, you, it's going to be worth somewhere between here. It's how we talk about that level of risk that you're willing to take to get to that. And it could be a home run or it could be what level, how much risk you're willing to take and understanding that in the front end yeah. as well. So when we do that. Okay. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think it's a it's a competitive advantage. If you want to close the candidate that you want to hire, to your point, if you're intentional about interviewing to get to a hire, then one of the things you can do at the end is not just come in at 
this level and try and meet like meeting in the middle is so old fashioned, isn't it? It's like, well, we're coming in here. You want this and me in the middle is just present an option, like a menu options and allow the person to pick. We do all sorts of creative stuff to try and meet that need of what they, they again, right. I've been part of hundreds of offers and thousands by now recently. And yeah, it's like, what is it that drives the candidate? It's X, you know, at an executive level, I've written a number of offer justifications that are like, they really care about these three things and we're designed this way and how do we flip it to be weighted towards what they care most about that we don't care about. We, and then it's understanding like based on your phase of growth and or are you really trying to be more cash, equity and all that stuff, right? There's obviously buckets that you're pulling from, but designing the best way you can to make it competitive for them and meaningful, right? Yeah. And personal. Yeah, it's, it makes life more complicated from a finance and a people org perspective but it probably is better off like for the business in the longer run the final question is if you were to think about somebody in the people or the talent acquisition space that you class as like highly influential highly impactful in the world of work talent acquisition people ops like who's that person pat waters chief people officer of some of the most innovative tech companies service now linkedin mm. Truly, in the 18 months I worked with her, just it's almost like the light went on. I'm like, wow. Transformational thought leader cares deeply for her team, for the company, for people. Does that while holding leaders accountable. She called it building a high performing, healthy company that scales. Yeah. All three of those are important in any given part of the day. You may feel not healthy at all because yeah. you've been working all night and you're trying to get something done. You may feel like nothing is scaling because you're at a roadblock or you may feel like you're just not performing at all. And it's figuring out how to do all those things and how to do it really well. So she's, she's a huge fan of that. She did there in Australia at the time. She did the LinkedIn event. I can't remember what it's called, but she spoke and she talked about like talent acquisition, where the canaries in the coal mine right? We're the ones that like, you can have your people organization, you can have what's going on, but TA is typically really close to the market. And so you have to use your TA function to calibrate against comp, to calibrate against employee sentiment. You have to take all stakeholders in and around an organization to hear what external markets are saying about you and integrate that in. And so again, just an executive, a people executive that truly values and has figured out, I think, in a lot of ways how to leverage, right, the magic of talent acquisition. And of course, I say that because I'm in the TA world. But like, how do you go tell the story in a meaningful way? And then how do you collect feedback on the story of, is this resonating? How is this working, right? What are we seeing in the market? What's happening? What's going on right now with X, Y, and Z? If you really leverage, you have a team of people that are talking to people every day. Yeah, you're paying them good money to do more than just yeah and you could pay them to sell the heck out of your company you could pay them to provide insights on what's really happening and get that feedback and she's phenomenal at it perfect well let, if we'll leave it there thank you very much for uh, coming down appreciate the insights and wish you all the best with the new position at dialpad appreciate it cheers cheers thanks so much for listening to this episode of breakout if you want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to be the first to get notified when future episodes are released. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave a review so we can keep improving and share the word with other leaders in the tech talent space. If you have suggestions for topics we should cover, please feel free to reach out to either myself or Gareth.